Today's reading from the Word of God comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's John. I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gene. I am one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church. Uh, it is part of our rhythm of worship to sit in silence for a moment to set aside any distractions we may have brought with us. At the same time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive God's word this morning. After a moment of silence, I'll go ahead and open us in prayer. Jesus, we praise your name. We thank you that you've revealed who you are. You revealed the truth to us. And so we, we thank you for that. And we thank you for this time where we can gather together to be in worship, to worship you. And God, uh, I also want to uh, pray for those who are affected by the hurricane in Florida. Um, just reading news and seeing images of, of the, the destruction that's happening, it's uh, so distressing. And so may you be uh, with uh, the people down in Florida. Comfort them. We uh, help them in their time of need, Lord Jesus. 
So thank you again, Lord, for this time of worship. And we uh, pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Happy October, friends. Autumn is here. Trees are starting to pop with color like vibrant orange, fiery red, and a soft yellow. Some of us might feel a slight shiver in the morning because of the brisk air. Uh, personally, I've started to put away some summer clothes and pulled out sweaters and long sleeve button-ups. And I've been seeing an endless option of pumpkin spice items. Uh, last week, I went to Trader Joe's, and there were countless of options of pumpkin spice-flavored goods, like pumpkin spice cookies, pumpkin spice coffee, pumpkin spice hummus, if you're into that. Uh, if you're a, uh, a fanatic of this flavor, TJ's won't uh, disappoint you. As much as I enjoy the summer season, I like to share a little snippet about my summer. Uh, this past summer uh, was a rich time with family. Uh, my wife, Natalie, and I flew to California to visit my side of the family, uh, some who we haven't seen uh, in person since 2019. Uh, we celebrated my dad's 60th birthday while we were out, out in the Golden State. And then we uh, visited Natalie's family uh, in Maryland for a cousin's wedding. And uh, my brother-in-law got engaged over the summer. So I'm super excited for Sam and his fiance Shay. So congrats to them. Uh, after, a few weeks, after, uh, after a few weeks, they got engaged. Sam and Shay threw an engagement party. At the celebration, I met a person who was curious about philosophy, religion, and Christianity. Uh, this person, uh, let's just call him Tim, but that's not his real name. Uh, but Tim didn't identify himself as a Christian, but he explored, uh, he, he had exposure to Christianity and other religions. He earnestly sought to know different approach, approaches to life because he wanted to discover answers to existential questions like, what's the purpose of our lives? He contemplated uh, these types of questions often and yearned to find answers. So when Tim learned that I was a pastor, his face lit up and was eager to discuss these topics. We chatted about faith and religion. Tim asked me why I strongly believed in Christianity to the point where I would work full-time at a church. I asked him to share uh, about his uh, kind of journey about uh, learning about different religions and Christianity. And then one re recurring idea in our conversation was making a leap from the natural world to the supernatural. Uh, any part of our conversation that ventured into the supernatural realm presented some difficulties to Tim's beliefs. Yet he was still curious about my perspective of Christianity and about life. Uh, Tim wrestled with the idea that life should be more than just the routine of going to work, paying off bills, or hanging out with loved ones. And don't get me wrong, these things are great and shouldn't be looked down upon. But he felt like something was absent. Tim desired more. Have you met anyone like that? Maybe you've even felt that way at times. That something was missing, that there's more to life, that you had more purpose than you, that you just hadn't tapped into. But this dissatisfaction can go beyond our personal um, our personal like, lives, when we observe the lives or just the neighborhood, neighborhoods around us, our state, our country, the world, there can be feelings of unrest and longing for something more. One potential reason we may feel this way is because of the ter 
uh, turmoil we see out in the world. I mean, it doesn't take much effort to see the dysfunction of our society. Just read the headline of any news. Um, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but there's a lot of darkness in our world. And when I mention the word darkness, I want to use that term as broad as possible. Uh, places of darkness can be systemic issues that we see in our society, whether it's mass incarceration, racism, or police brutality. Or it can be corrupt establishments that produce an obscene amount of waste or exploit its employees by paying unlivable wages. Places of darkness can be a toxic work culture that, about, uh, that uses guilt and shame uh, to motivate its staff. It can be within relationships that disregard personal boundaries. Or maybe a place of darkness is in our mental space. It could be the fear of the unknown, like uncertainty of paying rent or credit card bills. Or maybe there's some kind of unresolved health issues uh, that consume our brain space. Maybe it's the endless worry of not having enough time or, or emotional bandwidth. And we, we all know there are dark places in the world. What place of darkness most weighs you down these days? The good news is that we are not left alone to remain in these dark places. Jesus has come into these places to shine his light. And we are invited to exhibit this light that Christ brings uh, for the hope to the world. We are starting a new sermon series this fall uh, where we dive deep into the Gospel of John. We're looking at passages from the beginning of John that causes us to grapple who Jesus is. We are titling this portion of our sermon series, Come and See. As Pastor Bryn mentioned last week, we are spending a year in this gospel with a couple of breaks in between uh, to observe uh, calendar events like Advent and Lent. Now, why did we choose this gospel? Well, there's a lots of reasons. This, uh, the Gospel of John is a foundational gospel. If you're reading the Bible for the first time, it can be helpful to start with John. It gives us a foundation of who Christ is, and it connects his story to the rest of the Bible. And as we enter, uh, as we enter a new season as a church, we wanted to open with a foundational book that roots us in Christ. But even if, we, uh, if we, even if we've read this gospel like a hundred times, I still want to invite you to, uh, to enter the series with us, with, uh, with fresh eyes and believe that God can shine his fresh light into our lives. So make sure to leave a bookmark in the gospel of John because we'll be in it for quite some time. Before we dive into uh, this morning's passage, I would like to provide uh, some context about the gospel of John. Uh, there are four books in the Bible that are called Gospels. The Gospels tell us the story of Jesus from different perspectives. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke share common stories about Jesus' life, like his baptism, his transfiguration, and his parables. And what's interesting is that the, Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John shares different aspects of the story than these other three. I'm going to go into uh, professor mode for a little bit uh, so that we can get uh, oriented with the Gospel of John. So this Gospel is split into two major sections. The first section is called 
uh, can be called the Book of Signs, where it depicts Jesus' miracles, like healing a man with a physical disability or having contentious conversations with religious leaders. And this happens between chapters 1 through 12. And then there's a second part of John that's called the Book of Passions, where it tells Jesus' journey to the cross and his triumphant resurrection in chapters 13 to 21. The Gospel of John was written in the late first century, so the author had time to mull over things that Jesus had said and did. Uh, This meant the author could use creative metaphors like spirit and flesh, belief and unbelief, light and darkness. And these themes play out throughout the Gospel. Uh, Last week, Pastor Bryn explored the theme of grace and truth in this passage. And this week, we're going to take a look at the same passage, but focus on another aspect of who Christ is, light and darkness. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to John 1. Verses 1 through 18 that Angelina read for us sets the stage of the entire gospel. It tells us the purpose of the gospel, reveals important themes and key information needed to understand the rest of the narrative. So let's start from the beginning. So it says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. As Pastor Bryn pointed out last week, familiar words are used in the opening line of the Gospel that are also found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning. In fact, there are many overlapping features between John 1 and Genesis 1. And this connection to Genesis underscores such a profound characteristic about the Word. When uh, the Gospel of John talks about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. And the Word existed before anything else, before the expansive sky and sea, before the mountain ranges and the spacious valleys, before any creature breathed or plants grew or stars glimmered, before anything in the observable observable and unobservable universe existed, before all these things, the Word is present. And not only is the Word present, He is in a relationship with God, a bond that exists between the, uh, the Word and God before all of creation. A relationship so intimately connected, the word is described to be God. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. Uh, I'm not proposing the idea that there are two distinct gods here. Uh, We believe in the oneness of God. Uh, This passage advocates that God is one and there are distinct relationships of God. The opening of John briefly mentions the relationship of God. But the the gospel later mentions a harmonized activity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So this is super exciting to see uh, it all play out uh, through the rest of the gospel. So whenever you come across uh, anything um, that mentions Father, Son, or Spirit, I encourage you to really highlight those sections because it helps us to understand the triune God. Now, here's a quick uh, musical analogy that attempts to unpack the Trinity. Again, keyword is uh, uh, attempt. So, let's see here. 
can everyone hear that? Cool. Uh, so I will uh, say so if I play the, uh, a C major chord here, so you can hear the entire chord, right? But if you listen closely, you can probably pick up the individual notes that make up the chord, the C, the E, and the G. Oops, there it is. And now, no analogy is perfect when explaining the Trinity, including this one. The analogy breaks down when you think about the C major chord. It's made up of three distinct notes. And I don't want to imply that God is made up of a third of the Father, a third of the Son, and a third of the Spirit. And so each person of the Trinity is fully God. Um, so there's just enough mystery about the triune God where we can be in awe and wonder. And so uh, I would love to uh, continue to talk about the Trinity, but there's just not enough time in the sermon to unpack that. And so uh, we'll just conclude this uh, musical analogy that attempts to explain the Trinity. So thank you. Um, now back to the word. Uh, so this word from the beginning plays a crucial role in creation. The Gospel of John continues to describe the word that all things are made through him. And this follows a trend that we see in the creation narrative found in Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. The instrument God uses to create all things in the world is the word. So there is life in the word, and this life shines and reveals an aspect about, uh, of God's character for our benefit. The light continues to be in the spotlight, but a new character comes into the scene, a man named John the Baptist. Now, John is a pretty common name in the New Testament, so it's easy to misidentify which John we're referring to. John the Baptist is a different person from the author of this gospel. John the Baptist makes a quick appearance now, but has a more prominent role later in this chapter. The author makes it clear that John is separate from the light. John's role is to share with others about this light, about the long-expected Jesus. Until Jesus comes to the scene, John's goal is to tell others about this light, he continues his ministry by baptizing those around him with water as he waits for the true light to arrive. And this light isn't a uh, and this light isn't at a distance like the stars that we see in a midnight sky. This light isn't light years away from us. Instead, it's near. John one is such a familiar passage that many of us can. Uh, that's easy for, uh, for us to breeze through what is being said about God. So let's take a look at verses 9 and part of 10. It says here, The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world. Just within a couple of words apart, we learn, that God's pursuit to the uh, learn about God's pursuit to the world and now being a resident in the world. God intentionally makes a home in God's own creation, which was made through the word. And God came into a broken and messy world as Jesus. And Jesus exist, uh, existed in an in a, uh, imperfect and complicated society. 
I mean, in, during Jesus' day, men were given more honor, than, honor and worth than women and children. If an individual had any form of disability, like the lack of sight or mobility, uh, they were pushed off to the fringes of society. It was common for these individuals to beg for money in order to survive. Corruption was prolific in the tax collector business, and the Roman occupation presented a constant threat to the public. And shame and honor maintained order in the Greco-Roman world. And yet, Jesus' light overcame the darkness of his time. Jesus showed honor to women and children by valuing their dignity. Jesus restored individuals by healing their physical ailment. He provided a multitude of fish and loaves to thousands who were curious about him. Jesus sat at the dining table with those who were corrupted by greed and reoriented their life from hoarding to generosity. He forgave people's sins and casted out evil spirits that terrorized its host. Jesus revealed how to truly live a life that honors God and loves the neighbor. Jesus' light shined in places of darkness in the first century, and his light continues to shine even today. And God's light is visible through the church. Our mission here at Anchor Bay Church is to love, is to live and love in such a compelling way uh, that, in, sorry, to live in such a compelling and Christ-like way that our North Shore neighbors would be inspired uh, to seriously consider Jesus' claims. We partner with God in this mission, believing that Christ's light will shine through our acts of love and deeds of faith. In church, I've seen and heard how Jesus' light shines in places of darkness, like intentionally getting to know our neighbors. Some of you spend time outside gardening or playing an instrument to engage with your neighbors. Others have embraced people who stumbled upon our church during Celebration Sunday last week. Some provided an opportunity to allow others to experience God on paddle boats and listen to God's word. A couple of individuals provide transportation for others so that they can experience God in community on Sunday mornings. Many of you have donated to the Benevolence Fund that is being used to help offset medical bills, utility costs, and grocery expenses. And many of you have brought uh, or cooked a meal for those who are going through uh, a life change or a difficult season. The list can go on and on and on of ways that we have witnessed the light to others. But the only reason we can share the light to others is because we experience this light ourselves. We personally experience God's goodness, and we are compelled to share it with others. So how has Christ's light shown up in your life? Where has Jesus brought you healing in places of darkness, in places of shame, pain, and sin? Now, this is on a personal level. How about something that scales beyond that? Uh, as many of you are aware, our church, partner, uh, our church partners with organizations around the North Shore so that we can be more effective in loving and serving our community. Uh, one of these organizations is Beverly, uh, Beverly Bootstraps, 
We've mentioned this in the past, uh, but our church is partnering with Bootstraps to support those who are facing food insecurities by providing food holding units out in the parking lot. And I saw this morning, they're actually there now, which is really exciting. Um, those who are facing food insecurities will be able to retrieve uh, groceries at their convenience and without experiencing any shame from onlookers. Uh, this is just one example of how our church has partnered with a local organization, and we hope to continue to build these relationships and utilize our resource, resources to be a blessing to our community. And our church tries to, uh, to purposely love those around us by be meeting the needs of our neighbors. And we may not know what kind of space we may share this light. A person may have an average day or maybe a crummy one. Uh, what, wherever it's a well-lit area or a despairing space, God's light shines in those spaces. And it's the true light that illuminated us what a perfect relationship with God looks like. Jesus came into creation to show a life with God uh, in absolute harmony. Jesus taught uh, to the masses the two greatest commandments that fulfill the Mosaic law, loving God with all of our entire being and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus revealed how God's kingdom cherishes those who are merciful, meek, and poor in spirit. He perfectly embodied a life full of grace and truth. And then the true light came face to face with darkness. Jesus was unfairly trialed, mocked, and ridiculed. The light slowly diminished as he endured the excruciating suffering from others. The true light dimmed after each nail pierces, uh, pierced Jesus' hands and feet. And when the cross and Jesus stood tall for all eyes to see, onlookers saw this light waning. And finally, as Jesus breathed his, his final breath, the light vanished. The true light was cons completely consumed by darkness. That is until the third day. Because on the third day, the true light burst forth from the grave. Jesus conquered the darkness of sin, death, and shame. The true light shines everywhere, displaying the splendor and glory of the risen Jesus. And anyone who follows the resurrected Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And anyone who believes in Jesus will be reunited with our triune God. Amen. So how can we apply this morning's message to our lives? Um, so like I said earlier, uh, we'll be spending about a year uh, in the Gospel of John. So I invite you uh, to join us in reading this Gospel. Uh, keep a notepad and a writing utens utensil with you as you read. I encourage you to jot down any observations about, uh, about the passage that, uh, or highlighting any repeated words. I mean, just last week, a person in my life group noticed that the word light came up a bunch of times in this passage. So if there's a word or a concept that occurs multiple times, uh, then there's probably some significance behind those words. So uh, write down every question that comes to mind. Uh, here are some questions that may come up. Uh, what repeated words did you notice? Uh, when a, men, a place is mentioned, ask what takes place there. What's going on in the culture? 
what time of day uh, is it mentioned in the passage? So have a journal with you and record these questions, and I guarantee you will have more questions than answers. Uh, a method that, I, that has aided my interaction with Bible reading is using color-coded highlighters. Uh, whenever I come across a verse that catches my eye, I would highlight it with a specific color. I have uh, four different colored highlighters with me whenever I read the Bible, and each color has a specific function as I read. Uh, first, it's yellow. Uh, yellow represents any verse that's interesting or worth highlighting for whatever reason. Uh, this color has the most generic function out of the four. And then there's green. The green highlighter marks any verse that makes me say, whoa, I need to sit with this verse for a bit. And then I find myself uh, pausing so that I can read and reread this verse at least like four or five times. And personally, this color helps me to identify verses that apply to my life in a particular season. So it's fun to revisit verses that are highlighted in green because it occasionally reveals how God impacted my life uh, with that specific piece of scripture. Uh, an example of this is Isaiah 30. Uh, that passage spoke to me loudly as we were going through the fr fruit, of the sermons, fruit of the Spirit sermon series this past summer. Uh, living in the Spirit is a completely different lifestyle compared to what we see in the world. Next is blue. Uh, this color highlights any repetitious words or parallel ideas. Uh, this uh, color is a visual, visual cue that helps me make connections uh, with themes or ideas found in a specific passage, or maybe within a specific book, like one of Paul's letters, or across books between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, this color, this uh, color is personally exciting because I'm making connections in the Bible that I may would have missed if I wasn't interacting with the Bible in this way. Uh, and finally, there is orange. Uh, I use this color to highlight any verses that confuses me or if I have questions about. You know, to be honest, sometimes I'm just too lazy to write down the question in journal, so I'll just take an orange highlighter and just, you know, highlight the verse so that uh, the next time, or when I have more time, I can research what that verse is uh, saying. Church, I share this color-coded highlighter method uh, as a way to help us engage with the Bible. And especially when we read texts that are from, uh, that's familiar, like John 1, it's easy to overlook some profound truths about God. And so this process helps us to slow down, pay closer attention to the text, and interact with God's word closely. And so I pray that this encourages us to dive deep into God's word as we go through the Gospel of John in this next year. Uh, I'd like to close, uh, out with this, uh, close out this sermon with a short story about how Christ's light has shown up in my own life. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I was rummaging through a closet and stumbled upon this box. Um, somehow, I've forgotten about this box existed. It carries all sorts of memorabilia from previous ministry experiences like Bible study groups in college or overseas missionary work in Japan. Uh, I've read uh, letters written by friends I've made during those ministry experiences. Uh, they recalled memories of God's faithfulness during our time together, whether it's at Bible studies or sharing our life stories, spending time with their families, uh, or just grabbing coffee just to catch up to see how they are. Uh, 
As I strolled down memory lane, I was floored uh, to read and remember God's incredible goodness. God reminded me of uh, how he had continually shown up when life felt overwhelming or whenever I questioned about God's direction in my life. Uh, These stories illuminated an aspect of God's character that is so easily forgotten when life gets chaotic. It's stories and letters from others that helped me to remember Christ's light when times are dark. So please be encouraged, church, because Christ's light will uh, will shine no matter how dark life can get. Amen.